Well, welcome to another broadcast week here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, glad to have you along as we consider the world that uh, that we know right now. This is kind of going through all sorts of just ups and downs and craziness. And of course, we our thoughts and prayers were are with everyone in Maui, and uh, Lisa and I spent our honeymoon there, so we know. Um, just what a beautiful spot it is and we barely get a chance to you know really explore the island that much but uh, it's just been interesting and fascinating and tragic and just remarkable to see what is staying what isn't you know staying with the death toll continuing to rise and of course our thoughts and prayers are there and it is interesting to see how many people uh, in a situation like that uh, become very uh, compassionate empathetic we got to do something to save Hawaii and, and, and I appreciate the thoughts and prayers and the people who are, you know, the outpouring of money. I heard Southwest Airlines was offering discounted fares to get people off the island, like 19 bucks or something. And um, with <laughs> Southwest, it's all the good PR they could get, I guess. But, you know, I, I Greg Laurie, Harvest uh, Christian Fellowship, of course, they have a campus there. And uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, stuff just, I mean, maybe replaceable, maybe not. It's interesting when a phenomenon like that happens, um, where our priorities lie begins to show up. You know, first and foremost, is it what about the land? What about the people? What about the vegetation? You know, what what is this going to do long term uh, to the economy, whatever? And, you know, it is interesting to me. It's always fascinating to me. And I say this again with no malice toward anybody in Hawaii, obviously, or anybody who's ever gone through a natural disaster. But I always look to see what survives a natural disaster and what doesn't because I think it's helpful to help us just kind of do a reset and and, and take a look at what where our priorities are and where they aren't and and I'm firmly convinced that right now if this is not the actual end times hellfire and brimstone hell end times these are the growing pains the birth pangs these are the the God is restoring everything all to himself and I have to wonder, I mean, I, I thought this back in 1994 with the uh, Northridge earthquakes and the San Fernando Valley kind of uh, being, you know, thrust about um, to how, you know, it was discovered during that time that while it was wild to see the damage that was done there and my now wife who was living with her young son in a you know, single mom living in an apartment complex, it was one of the co- complexes that got destroyed. They barely made it out alive. And I'm grateful, of course, obviously, that God spared her life, just as I'm grateful he spared my life so that the two of us could meet. You know, <laughs> it's a very, that's, that's very been helpful for us. But I think about whenever there's a disaster, you, you know, we always take a look around, do the inventory, and, and look at the things that are replaceable and the things that aren't. Look at the places where we can rebuild and places that we can't. And when I see what's happening here and I see the, you know, the, the devastation it's amazing how many people are saying, well, yeah, this happened because of this reason or that reason, you know, climate change or uh, it was a dry heat and, you know, it was just one of those freak things that happened and, you know, it shouldn't happen in a plush, you know, beautiful green area like that and yet it's been unusually high and uh, unse- temperatures and unseasonably dry weather. And yet it's amazing what people will use to find the reason, sometimes the excuse for something happening, as opposed to... Uh, taking a look at what's really going on. I mean, in all honesty, I was talking with a, uh, a gentleman here recently on the program about the fact that, uh, I believe it was uh, Pastor Benjamin Wendell who was describing the process where the eucalyptus tree actually reproduces. Pine cones have a similar experience. 
eucalyptus trees grow and they flourish and we get you know that really wonderful smelling uh, scent that comes from the eucalyptus uh, of the branches and the leaves but what makes the eucalyptus tree reproduce actually is an intense fire literally that the tree almost gets burned down or some of them actually do and there's something in the ash that combines with the soil that provides the basis for the new growth it's the same way that i believe the pine tree uh, you know, of course, the pine needles don't regenerate to my knowledge. It's the pine cones is where the seeds are. And pine cones are tough. They're brittle. They're you know, hard to crack. And you, every elementary school and preschool teacher I know has put pine cones to good use because they're just indestructible, especially when you have kids with names like Thor and Blaze and Bolt coming into your classroom and they want to just, you know, pound on everything they can. But to my knowledge, from what I understand, at least in California, uh, if you're going to see any kind of reproduction happening in that realm, uh, it takes a lightning strike. It takes heat that hot and a strike that intense to get the pine cone to give up its seed. So the only real reason we have pine trees in the first place is because of these, you know, acts of nature that have a much greater biblical and spiritual impact. So as we consider what's happening, and of course, thoughts and prayers for family members, if you've lost, uh, you know, valuables, maybe you had a, I know a lot of people have vacation property there. If you know somebody who's been injured, or maybe there's a, someone in your world that actually wound up losing their lives. I, I want to offer a prayer of comfort for you, of course, as this thing continues to, to blaze on. But I also want to help us to take a look at maybe what, you know, let, let, let's see where God is in this. I don't believe he's, you know, raining down fire from heaven to destroy things just yet. But if this is part of his plan to regenerate and rebuild, and these are growing pains, then Maranatha. I mean, come Lord Jesus. Um, you know, let, let's let's look to the temporal needs immediately, but also then the wake-up call that everybody has to address and how many folks are saying, you know, I, I, I thought... I had more time. I thought I had my relationship with the Lord together as we see more and more people who are going to church on a regular basis and not understanding the gospel and not understanding what it means to be born again. These are those holy moments, pastors, uh, lay leaders, where we can literally grab the bull by the proverbial horns and preach the good news. So, Father, we pray for care and comfort, of course, for anyone and everyone who's been impacted by the, the fires that have raged through Lahaina and and left Maui looking just beat up. Uh, one writer described it, it looked like a war zone. And we pray for comfort. We pray for healing for those physical uh, ailments. Uh, we lift up those who pay the ultimate price. And we pray also, Lord, that you would continue to bless the people who are there and those who are providing relief efforts. And we pray that those who are guided in that realm would be successful. And we pray, Father, that, that those who may just be trying to cash in on this because everyone's talking about it, would get out of the way. Silence them, Father. Keep the, keep the real heroes. Uh, keep their path clear. And keep the looky-loo wannabes out of the way, Father. But help us to be ever mindful that while there is a temporal need or the people who are hurting and the businesses that were destroyed and landmarks and homes and nature, we know that you're the God of all things. And if this is part of your birth pangs for what's happening there, uh, to get our attention, Father, please let us have ears to hear what you are saying. Not to overreact to this tragedy, but not to miss 
the deeper spiritual significance as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name, and all God's children said, amen. I mean, it's no secret that the heat has been heating up all over the country, uh, not just in Hawaii. And it's very interesting to see what the, uh, the impact is on that. I mean, like right here in San Diego, for example, um, the heat wave is being blamed in part for rising gas prices. Uh, national average, $3.83 a gallon, and that's for regular self-serve. That would be the 87 octane. Okay, so if, if you're going to fill up your 91 and um, or you're getting it cheaper at 85 octane, I mean, we have people listening in those areas as well, then uh, please note that your gas prices will actually vary. Uh, here in the People's Republic of California, you typically see two grades of the pump, 87 octane and 91 octane, and there's maybe a 20, 30, 40 cent difference per gallon. Um, go to a place like Texas where they have three different grades typically at the pump, that would be 87, 89, and 93, and you might see a real wide mood swing. I mean, that average, 383, is way less than that at the 87 side in a state like Texas, but then the 93 octane might be four bucks. And the Colorado, you know, we're kind of on our own. But uh, it's interesting that San Diego drivers are really bearing the brunt of this. This is a report from Fox 5 in San Diego. The gas prices in San Diego have been going up every day for the past two weeks, so they don't see, don't show any signs of slowing down. Now, the reason for this is very interesting. Alan Jin is a professor of economics at UC, or University of San Diego, rather. And he says, quite frankly, uh, the heat wave does have a, you know, play a role in all of this because there are many refineries in Texas and Louisiana who, as you've heard about, you know, obviously the record heat in those regions, they've actually had to shut down and slow down uh, production because of the heat. That's, uh, <laughs> of course, because he's a professor and uh, probably getting some kind of stipend from the government, he said, I think that's definitely an incentive for people to switch to electric vehicles. Now, here, I, I want to, and I say this in all love and respect to Professor Ginn or Professor Jin. A professor of economics makes the claim that, I mean, first and foremost, that refinery, if refineries aren't refining, then that lowers supply. And if that lowers supply, then the, the demand is not met by increasing supply. That means the cost of the existing supply goes up. That's eco economics 101. But then for an economist to then say, well, okay, because the production's down, that's definitely an incentive for people to switch to electric vehicles. Here, here's my response. Ah. I, I'll say it again. Ah. <laughs> I, my goodness, please, 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 please. Please don't conflate the two. The push for electric vehicles has been politically motivated from day one. Now, I've known people, my, my German teacher when I was in high school, built a geodesic dome and drove an electric car. This was 1977, okay? Good for him. Herr Hogan, I'm so glad you built that. I don't know how he was able to build it up near our home now. The houses were near where I went to high school, up in the Foothill High School area. They're going for two million bucks now, so I don't know how he was able to pull that off in 1977. But the idea that we just, well, electricity's the answer. We don't have any gas, and so I want to cut down on fluorocarbons and uh, carbon monoxide, and so we got to cut electricity. Do you have any idea what is going to happen to the ecosystem when the, we wind up raping and pillaging any source of lithium all across the country. The Salton Sea right now is going to be, they, they just strip mined all the iron out of that area near Joshua Tree about 40, 50 years ago. And now some developer bought it and it's going to turn it into, I don't know, iron light or something. 
But the Salton Sea, they, hey, there's lithium here. Let's make batteries. And so they're going to take that all up. Well, guys, I mean, let, let's, let's be real. There is not enough electricity produced on the grid to power electric vehicles if driven by every member of Congress and every federal worker in the United States. And not everybody of the 335 million people in this country work for the government. There is not the capability in this country right now to produce enough electricity for everybody to drive an electric car. That's the first problem. The second problem is we need lithium for stuff other than electric car batteries. You know, like actual home batteries and other uses. Every electric car battery you're making is taking precious lithium away from other places. Third, think about the children who are in the Congo right now or whatever, mining lithium for slave labor wages. Fourth, I mean, I could go on. This is just stuff about, no notes here, brothers and sisters. This is stuff you could find easily online. Fourth, take a look at the recyclability or the sustainability is the keyword now of the so-called electric vehicles in our culture. When an electric car is done, it gets totaled and it goes into landfill. Some parts may be recyclable, but it's not like the gasoline-powered engine where you can swap out pieces and move things around. There's no resale market yet. There could be eventually, but there's no resale market yet for the whole, oh, you, let's salvage your electric car and part it out, sell it for parts. It's just not there yet. So for this econ professor from UC San Diego to say, well, uh, the refineries uh, shut down and uh, uh, that, that's, I think, definitely incentive for people to switch to electric vehicles. What happens when the electric cars overheat? What happens when the electric cars get too cold? What happens when your electric rating and the radius that you can travel in your car has a wild mood swing because of the weather? And what happens when you do overheat or freeze up in the middle of whatever? All certain things to consider. But hey, it's been hot in San Diego and it's been hot around the world. And that apparently is having an impact on gas prices that we can't agree on. We'll put that article up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, keeping it in San Diego because an interesting story about uh, a tech CEO who made a ton of money and then wound up uh, going to prison as a result of making a ton of money. Why do you ask? Well, we'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We were talking tech just a few moments ago here with regard to the extreme heat and the very, very short distance. It was for a professor of economics at University of San Diego who said, well, there's been a lot of heat 
Gas prices in San Diego have gone up every day for the past 14 days. They're a good buck and a half above the national average. Part of the reason why is supply and demand. We don't have as much gas coming in or oil coming in for the refineries because refineries in Texas and Louisiana have had to shut down for periods of time because of the heat. And that's why I think it's a good incentive for people to get an electric car. And I, I mean, I'm not a tech guy. I mean, seriously, we had the uh, folks out over the weekend helping us uh, set up some things on our uh, uh, you know, smart home type of technology. And you know what I do? I answer the door and I introduce them to my wife because uh, <laughs> Lisa handles all that. And because she's a tech gadget nerd. I mean, and she loves that type of stuff. That's what she does for a living. I talk for a living. She makes sure that the phone are stay connected in hospitals for a living. That's, the, that, that's how we work together, right? But technology is fascinating and it seems like so many different places are able to become, you know, multi-gazillionaires because of technology. Well, guess what? <laughs> Sometimes the technological people who are engaging in these technological advances um, are kind of taking some shortcuts. And a former technology executive has, in fact, pleaded guilty in federal court, did so last Thursday, for his participation in a scam against Qualcomm. Uh, Sanjeev Taneha, who is the former CEO of Abrizio, which is a tech firm that was sold to Qualcomm, um, admitted to one count of money laundering. Um, this related to a, a $1.5 million transaction involving proceeds of the fraud on Qualcomm. Uh, this is according to Kelly Thompson of the Office of the United States Attorney, Southern District of California, said in a news release. Uh, Taneha confessed that he, along with co-defendants Karim Ariba and Ali Akbar Sakui of San Diego and others, schemed to hide Ariba's involvement in Abrizio, according to his plea agreement. Ariba was a Qualcomm employee throughout the entire marketing period. He hid his involvement in the firm and the development of the patented technology allowed Abrizio's principals to claim that the company was a quote-unquote angel-funded outside firm while disguising the true connections to Qualcomm. Uh, Taneha disclosed that he asked uh, Robbie for uh, performance numbers for Qualcomm's existing technology in an attempt to improve their marketing pitch, while also calling Aribi by a different name in text messages to make sure that people didn't know that it was really him. Uh, by the way, um, Qualcomm agreed to pay roughly $180 million to purchase Abrizio. Uh, back in October 2015, they paid $150 million of that amount in cash, and Taneha acknowledged that he never actually met the purported creator of Abrisio's core technology, uh, just, you know, had some inside information and turned out it was a money laundering scheme and his cut was $1.5 million. You know, it's, it's just, it's so interesting. Whenever I hear people calling on the better angels of society and you might hear me just kind of scoff, you know what? I mean, I, I don't do that. And I mean this in all sincerity. I, I don't do that because of the fact that I, I, I you know, get some kind of uh, uh, you know, joy out of doing so. I mean, we really honestly don't. It's just a reminder that here we are in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And we have a responsibility to speak the truth in love to people who don't know the truth. Brothers and sisters, the truth of the world and what's happening in the world right now is that there are evil people in the world. There is evil in the world. And it's just really sad and tragic 
when you see people who are running around saying, if only we would just be nicer, if only we could just be good, you know, that whole thing, um, you know, be good for goodness sake, you know, that whole bit. Guys, I mean, it's just becoming more obvious that we don't have that capacity apart from Christ. And this is yet another example. I mean, it's just another example of how challenging it is for us in the body of Christ to place our faith and trust in people when they're working with us, working alongside us, even people in the church, maybe especially people in the church. This is just yet another reminder of why, you know, if the Lord didn't put his faith and trust in any sort of man, um, then that's the world that we live in. So let's take that to heart. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, some more news of what's happening here locally. And how do you deal with the pain of just life in general? How do you deal with the pain that you might be going through? And it seems like, you know, as a Christ follower, you're getting a little more frustrated because you just can't seem to find the healing that you're looking for. We're going to give you some practical solutions for doing so. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Glad that you've had a chance to uh, uh, be with us for the first uh, half hour of the program so far. Coming up in the second half hour, we're going to get into a great conversation about pain. And it reminded me of my dear friend, Kenny Metcalf, who uh, has overcome so much in his life. Kenny is one of the foremost uh, impersonators, if you will, tribute bands, they call them now, for the early years of Elton John. And he was at the Orange County Fair this past week. I think it was Thursday night, maybe Friday. Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to get down there, but uh, to see uh, his performance, and he does such a great job. Kenny's a great Christian man. If you ever get a chance to go online to our archives at thebottomlineshow.com, I encourage you to check out. Kenny shared his testimony with me a number of years ago about the physical pain that he went through. I mean, nearly losing his life a couple of times, massive hospitalization. You would not know it now to watch him performing, you know, bouncing all over the stage like Elton John in his, I think Kenny's in his, he may be 60, uh, maybe a little older than that. Does a great job performing. And our good friend Caleb Quay, who was the original guitar player for the Elton John Band and was the guy who was responsible for uh, giving young Reginald Dwight uh, some free studio time to help him make his demo and even coming up with the name Elton John when Elton John wanted to call himself John Elton. And <laughs> Caleb was the one who said, try it the other way. I think it'll work a little better. Uh, Caleb actually sits in with Kenny on occasion, and they uh, were performing at the Hangar at the Orange County Fair uh, last weekend. And, of course, the uh, fair wrapped up on Sunday. You know, I think about that chronic pain thing, though. And it's amazing how many people have some issue that stays with them for years. Um, and I'm not talking about those who might have a, uh, you know, a chemical addiction or something like that that results in pain and takes years to shake that. That's a whole different animal. But what about the person who's got the back issue or the, the hip issue or, you know, chronic migraines or, you know, whatever it is. And you've been walking with the Lord for so many years and the pain just won't quit. Well, I, I think about the episode in season three, I think it was of The Chosen, where they handled that whole issue of the uh, the woman in uh, with the issue of blood who finds Jesus and actually you know kind of tracks him down and in the crowd doesn't face him doesn't confront him doesn't kneel down before him she just kind of reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment and Jesus feels power coming out through him to her and turns around and says who touched me and it's just a really beautiful experience Dr. Michelle Bankston understands that also oh so well 
She is a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist. She's an author and a podcaster, but she also has her own experience with chronic pain. Years and years of dealing with this. And, and she said, you know, it's interesting because what happens in situations like this is often twofold. First of all, there are many people who profess faith in Christ. They have an issue of pain, and then they start doubting their salvation. I, that, I don't think that's the, the right answer, number one. Uh, number two, when you look at pain and the things that happen in this life, why is it that you can go to the gym, work out for an hour or go running or go, you know, do whatever, and it's kind of a painful experience, but you have no trouble saying, oh, I had a good workout. Let's find the ice bucket. Let's find the jacuzzi or the sauna. And uh, let's kind of, we know that it might be a little sore today, but tomorrow I'm going to feel a lot better. That pain you understand. My friend and mentor, Dr. Jim Burns, likes to say, we're either going to experience the pain of regret or the pain of change. But any kind of substantial growth requires a little bit of pain. The question is, how do we do that? Maybe we need a new perspective on pain. Dr. Michelle Bankston has written a book on the woman with the issue of blood. And as it pertains to us today, the book is called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain overwhelms. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And since you're listening to the first half hour, you get first dibs on getting in to uh, win this book. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We do have a copy of Dr. Michelle Bankston's book called uh, uh, The Hem of His Garment. And it, it's a powerful book. It just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's already literally racing up the charts. So many people, 63 five-star reviews as of this writing, and the book just came out the first of the month. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Dr. Michelle Bankston joins me to talk about this book and how we can, as Christians, maybe get a different perspective on pain. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process. It's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a look at an issue that uh, is becoming more common and a lot of people are looking for solutions for it. Uh, the question is, where do you find them? Where do you go to look? Well, obviously, you want to look in Scripture. You want to look at the stories of the Bible. But uh, there's one that you might be overlooking. And today here on The Bottom Line Show, we're joined once again by Dr. Michelle Bankston to have a conversation about this. She's a national and international media resource on mental health. 
uh, best-selling award-winning author of Hope Prevails, the Hope Prevails Bible Study, and many other titles. Uh, we have a link for her website, uh, drmichelleb.com, up at the thebottomlineshow.com. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a new book of hers called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. There's a link for that book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Michelle Bankston, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thank you, Roger. It's always a delight to be with you. And hopefully this conversation will give hope to your listeners. Well, we, 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 that's part of the reason why we want you here. <laughs> you always do. Uh, board certified clinical neuropsychologist. Talk about neuropsychology as opposed to someone who does, you know, say marriage and family counseling or something like that. What, what does that study entail? Neuropsychology is a study of brain behavior relationships. So it takes about 12 years to go through the training and then wow. internships and postdoctoral fellowships. So it's quite a lengthy process. But basically, when a patient comes to see a neuropsychologist, there's some kind of question about whether there's an issue with brain functioning. And it could be something like ADHD or learning disabilities in children, or perhaps a patient comes in after they've had a closed head injury or a stroke. Or sometimes doctors refer patients if there's a question of, is this dementia in the elderly or is it mm -hmm. depression? And through our evaluation, we can assess to see what parts of the brain are suboptimal and what kind of treatments can we prescribe to get people functioning at a higher level. Boy, I appreciate you delineating that for us because when we're talking about a subject like pain, I, I, I grew up with a pretty pedestrian view of it from a family who had been through both my mom and dad were only children. They grew up in the Great Depression. There was a certain level of depression on both sides of the family. And if anything was painful, you just put a smile on it and kept going. Full stop. Absolutely. Yes. And I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people walk into church on Sunday morning with a mm -hmm. smile plastered on their face and an I'm fine on their lips. But in their heart, they're dealing with a lot of kind of pain. Well, let's talk about pain here with Dr. Michelle Bengston today in this brand new book of hers called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms, which is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's different things to different people, Dr. Bengston. So how do you define pain? There are different types of pain. And Roger, I think all of us are familiar with physical pain, you know, sure. a broken arm or a sprained ankle, or you've got an infected tooth. But this book doesn't just talk about physical pain. That's just one dimension. There's also emotional pain mm -hmm. when you've struggled through hardship in life, perhaps like your parents did or depression or anxiety. There's relationship pain that comes about when things don't go well in a relationship. Maybe you've had an estranged relationship with somebody or a friend just kind of stops communicating, but there's also spiritual pain. And that's Spiritual pain is probably one of the lesser types of pain that people talk about, at least with that label. But that is when there's a disruption in our belief system or there are a sense of relationship to God that makes us feel distanced from God and we're distressed by that distance. But then no conversation about pain is complete without mentioning secondary pain. And that's the kind of pain that's inflicted by the words or actions of others or lack thereof, that makes the pain sufferer just feel even worse than their suffering. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Michelle Bankston has written this book called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms, that reference from Matthew 9. And just as you were describing that secondary pain, Dr. Bankston, I couldn't help but think of something that's rather innocuous, but it happens in my neighborhood a lot. And that is you're driving down the road, just paying attention to what it is you're paying attention, and somebody's sprinkler goes flying off. 
and sprays you and all of a sudden hits the windshield of your car, shows you all the dirt that's on your car that you were hoping no one else would notice. And the question you have to deal with is what do we do with that? And and I wonder how many people who would just put a smile on pain would, would be like the person who just drives around saying, well, now I got all this blotch all over my car. Most of us immediately would say, well, I'm at least going to turn the windshield wipers on, try to you know get some kind of relief. There, we're not really... Uh, we're not really neutral when pain inflicts us. No, and pain can wreak havoc on our lives. One of the things that pain does is it tempts us to isolate, mm. either because we're tired of hearing people's comments, and they may be well-intentioned comments, Roger. It could be something like, well, you know, God works all things together for good. Right. Love mm. him. But the pain sufferer just cringes like that doesn't make me feel better in my suffering. Or we isolate because we think people are tired of hearing about our pain, mm -hmm. or we have a tendency to compare in our pain. And that could be devastating too, because we think, well, I, there's no reason for me to talk about what's going on in my life because so-and-so has it so much worse. And what I try right. to tell people is, look, whatever pain you are feeling does not invalidate my pain and my situation of pain doesn't do anything to lessen your pain. So if we can just stop with the comparison and realize that all pain is valid and we need to give space to talk about it. I'm talking with Dr. Michelle Bankston today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called The Ham of His Garments, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the chapters in this book, Dr. Bankston, you encourage people to choose their focus. And I, it got, I realize it's kind of like shattered glass goes everywhere. And you have to kind of figure out which pieces you're going to pick up first. You know, where, where do you start? Do you sweep? Do you vacuum? Do you mop? I mean, there's so many different things. Talk about what you're referring to in terms of, okay, you've identified that there is pain in your life because we all have it. Then the next question is, what are we going to do about it? What I know about the brain is that what we focus on grows. So if we focus on negative thoughts, that's what's going to be more pronounced in our thinking and in our attitudes and in our speech. And pain tempts us to get really negative. Pain steals the best part of us. It steals the best of our energy, the best of our time, the best of our attitude. But if we, the more we focus on our pain, which is extremely tempting, believe me, I've been there, but the more we focus on it, the worse it seems to be. And what I've learned is that if we can redirect our focus to what is true based on God's word, and if we can redirect our focus to the things we can do, despite our pain, instead of the things we can't do. And if we can redirect our focus to other people, it does lessen our pain just a little bit. It may not make the pain disappear, but it lessens it, which is so important when all you can see is your pain. As we talk about this issue of pain, and of course, the, the visual image that all of us have of reading Matthew 9, 20, the woman with the issue of blood, she's reaching out for Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment and the power comes out. I wonder how many of us look at that story and say, okay, that's all I need. I just got to get close enough to God, you know, to touch. And at the same time, pain does a lot of different things, kind of does a number on our minds, doesn't it? I mean, in terms yeah. of thinking, how do I approach God with this pain? Wait, did I bring this on myself? Maybe I can approach God with this pain. As a neuropsychiatrist, how do you do, neuropsychologist rather, how do you encourage people to say, okay, there's pain in your life. This is the role that God plays in your recovery. Pain tempts us to isolate and to give up and to even isolate, not just from one another, but from God. Mm -hmm. And pain will lie to us and make us 
have significant thoughts along the lines of, does God even care about me? Does God even see me in my suffering? And God, I know you can heal. So why haven't you healed me? And what I love about that story is this poor woman suffered for 12 years and she suffered in every single area of pain that we just talked about, the physical, the emotional, relational, spiritual, as well as grief and loss. And yet she got to the point where she had done everything she could on her own. And then she sought out the Messiah to touch the least conspicuous part of his garment. I love that because it's not like she even felt like she had to climb up his cloak to get his attention. Right. She didn't get face to face with him and hold his cheeks and say, you need to heal me. Mm-hmm. She had enough faith to reach out to just touch a thread, believing she could be healed. And I think that's what God is beckoning us to do. But in our pain, frequently we decide to give up and think, well, God's punishing me or God has abandoned me or God doesn't care. But when really what he's saying is, but will you trust me and will you continue to reach out for me and watch what I will do in your situation? Dr. Michelle Bankston is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. This book is powerful, and I encourage you to look into it. We've got it linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. The book by Dr. Michelle Bankston is called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. Michelle Bankston is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, Dr. Michelle B., dot uh, com is the website. She's an author. She's a podcaster. Her brand new book, boy, I'll tell you. I mean, it, it's a. I'm always blessed when somebody who has the wealth of knowledge, like Dr. Michelle Bankston has, as a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist, who put in tons of work, but also has lots of years of experience in private practice too, and can explain really tough issues like define pain. You know, in, in a couple hundred words in a book or hundred pages in a book or just in a conversation. Her brand new book is called The Hem of His Garment, reference to Matthew 9:20. Reaching out to God when pain overwhelms. We have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. Uh, Michelle, during the break, we were talking about how best, you know, kind of best practices in terms of people dealing with pain. And oftentimes we, you know, we live in a culture that wants to prescribe medication or some kind of bomb or some kind of retreat center or something like that. I know that you're healing, uh, that you're providing for people is a lot deeper than that. Let's take a look at some best practices and maybe also take a look at some of the things that people do to try to deal with pain where they don't always get it right. Let's talk about some of the don'ts first, because these were really hard learned for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's helpful to give your audience permission of things they don't have to do. One of the biggest things is when we're in pain, we constantly look back with regret. And so I would say to the degree that you can, don't live in regret. Looking back on yesterday is not particularly helpful for today or going forward. And to the degree that you're capable. And I recognize that there's some variation depending on what kind of pain you're dealing with, but try not to make major big decisions when you're in a heap of pain, because our feelings tend to lie to us. And when we make decisions in an emotionally heated situation like pain can be, then we often tend to regret those decisions later. Now, sometimes you don't have a choice. If you don't have a choice, seek some wise counsel to make sure that you're not making a decision that you'll regret. But another thing, Roger, is to make sure that you don't isolate. 
pain tempts us to isolate. And that's exactly what the enemy of our soul wants us to do. And healing happens in community. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So try not to isolate. But at the same time, this is a fine balance. And this is something my husband and I learned over and over again. Try not to overshare details with everybody. Mm. Find a select few of people that you can trust who will keep your confidences. But what we found is that when we overshare details, that's when we experienced more secondary pain because then everybody wanted to tell us what pill, potion, (laughs) supplement, prayer we should be doing to heal our circumstance. So I would minimize who you share with, but also to the degree that you can, don't socialize with negative people. It's Mm. just going to increase your pain. And you know, there's that cliche, misery loves company, but it doesn't do anything to heal our pain. Mm. So those are some of the don'ts. Well, and those are those are great reminders from Dr. Michelle Bankston. And I adding on as far as the uh the the world that we live in and how the media controls the dialogue for so many different people. Um, you know, the 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 idiom in the news world is if it bleeds, it leads. And a lot of people, everybody seems to be drawn to a so- a sob story, if you will. But when it comes to helping, they really don't, I mean, they so many people are consumers anymore, <laughs> whether of, of your story or your pain or your loss or your grief, they don't really have a vested interest in it. It's just something else to scroll through. And and that's why I think that's such great counsel. Dr. Michelle Bankston, a neuropsychologist, author of the brand new book, The Ham of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. There is that point, Dr. Bankston, and I'd love you to talk about this here. I'd love for you to talk about this here. Where, as we talked about the woman in with the issue of blood, uh, everybody who watched The Chosen remembers what a powerful scene that was when it's depicted on camera. But the idea that she had literally exhausted all of her resources in every different way and just wanted to get close enough to touch the hem of Jesus' garment for healing. But there is that time, though, sometimes when you're laying out your heart, you're kind of reconciling the pain, you're figuring out what happened and how to move forward. You come before God and all you seem to get is silence. How do we deal with that effectively, Dr. Michelle Bankston? The hard part with that is because we are so pain averse, we want our healing yesterday. But what God has shown me is that the healing that he wants to provide is what is most important at the time. And so while I might be seeking my physical healing, he's busy working behind the scenes to heal my heart or to heal my relationship with him. So if we can trust that God never withholds anything good from his children. So if you are not getting the, the specific healing that you're looking for, it doesn't mean God doesn't care or he's absent or he's turned a silent ear. It means he's working on what he knows is best for you in the moment, but continue to go to him. This poor woman, She was ill for 12 years, Mm. and yet at the necessary point in time, that's when Jesus healed her. But he didn't just heal her physically. He healed her emotionally and relationally and spiritually and financially as well. And that's what's so important is relinquishing control and trusting God that his timing and his way are perfect. Dr. Michelle Bankston is the author of the book, The Hem of His Garment, which we have linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Reaching out to God when pain overwhelms, and I can see why it's nothing but five-star reviews, and and I'm sure the folks at Revell are thrilled to see those small numbers next to it on Amazon in terms of the ranking. I think that's fantastic that so many people are sampling your work. Uh, Let's talk about one of the chapters that you call Flipping the Script on Pain. 
Uh, a lot of times I think we think of pain as a th thunderstorm. Maybe we could just kind of ride it out a little bit. Hopefully it'll go away eventually, but there's nothing we can really do to be proactive in a situation like that. Talk about what you mean by flipping the script. This is so important. This goes back to what we were talking about before the break about what we focus on grows. And when we're in pain, we are more susceptible to believing the lies of the enemy. Yeah. And that can sound like thoughts in our own mind that God has abandoned me in my suffering or God is punishing me with my pain. And what I mean by flip the script is we've got to be diligent about paying attention to the thoughts we have and then ascertaining whether or not they line up with the word of God. And mm. I've had these thoughts. So when I have the thought, God's abandoned me in my suffering, I need to look in scripture then and say, is that biblical? Because to flip the script, I would realize, no, he tells us many times, but especially in Deuteronomy 31, 6, that God never leaves us. Or if I have the question, if God really loved me, wouldn't, wouldn't he have prevented this from happening? Well, this doesn't have anything to do with his love. We live in a fallen world. And to right. flip the script, then I have to remember, no, scripture tells me in Jeremiah 31, 3, that God loves me with an everlasting love. Yes. So flipping the script on pain means really being diligent about what thoughts are we believing and then checking to see whether or not they align with God's truth. Well, this is great information from Dr. Michelle Bankston today here on The Bottom Line. We're discussing her brand new book that's just now out called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. A couple of minutes left in our conversation, Dr. Bankston. I'd love for you to talk about something. You actually start with this in the book, but I'd love for you to just kind of finish our conversation here about the fact that there are people who are, you mentioned earlier, some of the so-called well-wishers uh, who will come along and really not be of any benefit whatsoever. And sometimes one of the things that we need more than anything else is encouragement through pain that uh, is coming our way. We have to trust that God has a purpose, that God is allowing this to happen in our lives. Uh, talk about some of the things that we can meditate on ourselves, but also that we can help other people with in terms of speaking that language during painful situations. What's so important is really following David's example, where it says in scripture that he encouraged himself in the Lord. I do think, Roger, I think by and large, people mean really well when they enter into our pain. And even when they make comments that as the pain sufferer, we're left going, ouch, I mean, mm -hmm. that hurt. <laughs> that makes me feel ashamed or like it's my fault. But we have to remember if people haven't been in the same type of situation we've been in, they really can't relate. And so they're trying the best they can to make us feel better. Although sometimes they're also trying to take their discomfort away. Let's face mm -hmm. it, people are mm -hmm. uncomfortable when we are in pain. And right. so by making some of those, sometimes the Bible verse band-aids, as I call them, mm -hmm. it's in an effort to alleviate their pain. I think one of the biggest things we can do is extend grace and mercy to them. They're doing the best they can. And then we need to forgive them and forgive ourselves. Goodness knows I've probably said things that were hurtful and my heart wasn't to hurt. Right. So it's recognizing by and large people mean well but they just can't relate to our suffering. Mm. But when we can relate, that's when we can walk in and say, I'm so sorry for your pain. And I want to walk this with you. 
how can I pray for you specifically today? Yeah. Or just send a text. Occasionally I'll send a text to a friend and say, this verse reminded me of you. I hope it encourages you today. Mm. Or I'll send a, mm. I'll send a song yeah. that is uplifting. So there are simple ways that we can step in and be present. Just like Job's friends sat with him in silence for a week in his suffering. That was gold. It was only when they opened up their mouth right. that they got say. in trouble. <laughs> they were a big help with Rick Warren says, show up and shut up. You know, when right. someone needs your help. But that's they did that part just great. It's when they opened their mouths that everything started to come off the rails. Dr. Michelle Bankston, uh, the author of the brand new book that we've been discussing today here on The Bottom Line. It's all about healing and hope. It's called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Dr. Michelle Bankston, also uh, still hosting, she's a, an award-winning author, but also she's got an award-winning podcast as well. Uh, take a few moments here at the end to talk about your hope-filled perspective. Yeah, the podcast is called Your Hope-Filled Perspective on Purpose, because that is our whole mission, is to talk about life situations that bring about pain that many of us go through, whether it's divorce or depression or anxiety or miscarriage. And in that, we offer biblically-based hope-filled perspective to the person who may just be a few steps further down in their journey, and they need to know they're not alone, there is hope, and it's found in Jesus. All right. Well, we've got that link for all of her resourcing at uh, Dr. Michelle B at thebottomlineshow.com, along with information about the brand new book. Dr. Michelle Banks said, always a pleasure. Thank you for a fantastic resource and a most inspiring conversation today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. Always a delight to be with you. Well, what a great conversation with Dr. Michelle Bankston today here on The Bottom Line. And I misspoke earlier. If you were listening at the bottom of the hour as we were setting up, getting into this conversation, I said we had one of Michelle's books to give away. I was mistaken. We have two. Tamara found another one while we were having this conversation. So now you've doubled your chance to win. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Dr. Michelle Bankston's book is called The Hem of His Garment, uh, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line on the other side of this break i want to share a little personal story about pain and how i learned to suffer well or maybe i should say whom i learned to suffer well from that's coming up next as the bottom line continues one of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now.
My thanks again to Dr. Michelle Bankston for joining me today on The Bottom Line for a conversation about her book called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. It's her story of the woman with the issue of blood, of course, that we read about in the Gospels who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and received healing. But what we can learn from that perspective, especially from Michelle, uh, Dr. Bankston, suffering from chronic pain herself, If you're a chronic pain sufferer, uh, you'll want to get this book, and we have two copies of it to give away today. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, here's why this story is so important to yours truly. Uh, It's because I was blessed to have the, the good fortune to grow up in a home where I learned how to suffer well, because of the people in my world who suffered well. Uh, First and foremost, starting with my grandmother, Mabel Benilius, who was born on this day 119 years ago. My sister is probably right now saying, happy 119th birthday, Grandma. Well, she went home to be with the Lord in 1984. But she had a myriad of health problems. And um, name it, back problem, hip problem, knee problem, uh, pelvic issues, uh, massive, uh, full hysterectomy, full mastectomy, uh, what splenectomy, you name it. Whatever you could have removed, uh, grandma had removed. And this is during a time when, you know, when you have cancer and stuff, there wasn't radiation and chemotherapy. You just kind of gutted it out. And yet, you know, it was amazing. It took me years to figure out how much pain my grandmother was in on a regular basis because I never saw it. I never heard her complain. She had her Bible. She liked to watch church on TV if she couldn't get there on a regular basis or she'd listen to the radio uh, when she wasn't listening to Dodger games and SC football. (laughs) But it was amazing how gracious she was, how much she learned and how much she modeled Christ. It was only in her later years that I knew how much pain she was really in. But she didn't bother me with it. She didn't bother anybody else with it. She gave it to God and trusted that he had a bigger plan for it. So grandma, thank you. Thank you for uh, that. Uh, Of course, I've got more birthday greetings to share (laughs) on the other side of this break from my grandmother as well. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. We've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up. For those who are made with us on the network, a powerful story about an English young lad, 11 years of age, who may be the youngest farmer there, but when you find out how he approaches his farming, I think you're going to be inspired. It's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Monday edition of the program here. And thanks again to Dr. Michelle Bankston. What a powerful testimony she has uh, talking about pain and healing and suffering and uh, healing some more. Uh, The book is called The Hem of His Garment. And of course, she knows all about this type of stuff. Reaching out to God when pain overwhelms. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dozens of people have reviewed this online and everybody gives it five stars. Uh, We do have a copy that we're giving away today at 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line for this outstanding book. You know, when I think about people who um, have been going through tough times, I can't help but think of, uh, well... (laughs) Those who are part of my family unit, I mean, you've had that same situation too, I'm sure, where you begin to realize that, uh, you know, oftentimes the the ones who are uh, really dealing with it the most are the ones who um, are kind of young and vulnerable and and somewhat challenging. And I came across this story over the weekend that I want to share with you today, do a little analysis, balance, and clarity on this story. 
because um, of a why I'll tell you why later. I mean, <laughs> it's a special personal reason that I wanted to share this story with you. But uh, here it comes. Uh, a name. Uh, the name is that I want you to have etched into your brain is a young boy by the name of Joe Troffer Cook. Joe T R O F E R Cook. It's one of those hyphenated names. It sounds like an English name because it is. And this is a young man who is doing some things agriculturally that uh, uh, and and in the farming world that I really admire. I mean, let's face it. A lot of people will say, okay, hey, you know, we need to save the environment. So if we're going to save the environment, we got to, uh, you know, grow our own vegetables, grow our own food and, you know, raise grass-fed beef and all that sort of stuff. And and, and then, you know what happens? I, I think back to my son-in-law, Brian, bless his heart, when they were living in California a couple of summers ago. Uh, Brian was an uh, environmental studies major at uh, uh, Cal State Long Beach. And he and my grandson, Isaac, planted a vegetable garden. And they had, they were growing carrots and peppers and tomatoes and all sorts of things. They had, for an apartment that they were renting, they had a really kind landlord who had lots of trees and stuff in the back patio areas, bigger than it probably should have been. I mean, if it were up to me, since it was an apartment, I would have opted to see the builders put in more uh, usable living space inside the place. But it was two bedrooms, one bath, 800 square feet. And they had plenty of room in the back to, they built a little, uh, uh, cat area for their two cats because they cats used to drive them crazy and <laughs> they would scratch up stuff and make a lot of noise and so uh, he br- built a little uh, cat area uh, for them in the backyard and then also he planted these uh, uh, th- this garden and I was really impressed I mean with how the diligence that they both showed in uh, having this garden you know that they where they planted things and grow, grew things and uh, it was fun to go out and every now and again I'd stop by uh, in the afternoon before the show, and uh, we'd you know water the garden, and it was just it was it was really fun. It was very sweet time for uh, my grandson. And then I remember uh, that toward the end of the summer, Brian went out and kind of harvested some of the vegetables, and he made a salad. Yeah, that's right, one salad. I mean, it takes a while, and it takes a lot of land, and it takes a lot of patience, but it takes a lot of time to grow things. And I think. We all start out, you know, at the springtime, we're best intentions. We're going to grow a garden and get the kids involved and green thumb. And by the time you grow up a half dozen carrots and a, a head of celery and, you know, maybe some lettuce or spinach and some vegetables and you, you make a really big, nice salad and that's it. And then everything dies and you don't, you don't do it anymore. That's why Joe Trofer Cook is such an inspiration to me, but he's becoming an inspiration to a lot more people. This is a boy who grew up in the village of Billinghay in Lincolnshire. And about four years ago, he uh, had an interest in farming and growing vegetables and things like that because his grandfather, uh, Peter Cook, was 74 years of age at the time, and he had retired from his day job, and so he decided to give the young lad uh, something to work on. And so he built a planter in the garden in his uh, village and encouraged Peter to plant some things. And so they got some packets of seeds to grow vegetables and they started growing some potatoes that came out very nicely in April of 2019. And then, of course, you know what happened a year later? You know, he still kept growing the vegetables. And by the time March 2020 rolled around, um, Joe had uh, purchased a few more packets of seeds and started expanding on the area that he was growing in. As a matter of fact, he actually uh, 
grew so much produce. There's a picture of him here in this article that uh, we'll put up at the bottomlineshow.com that he started a little business. Now, this little trailer that he has, it's the size of, uh, you know, it's, it's a one axle type of thing. You know, if you've ever seen like a, a U-Haul trailer that's helping somebody move and they're trudging along and maybe there's a U-Haul truck or a truck carrying U-Haul trailer. And then there's that little side back component thing that has just enough for the axle of a, a truck like that. It's maybe five feet tall, maybe six feet tall, and I don't know, a couple feet deep. Well, Grandpa helped him to get that as well, and he started a little business. He would pull up on the side of the road. They have a little sign that says, Farmer Joe's Fresh Vegetables, and there's Joe out there selling his vegetables. And so this kid's got this irresistible smile and big old bright eyes and curly red hair. And so who could resist, you know, buying these vegetables? Well, <laughs> you know what's very interesting is the fact that they started selling the vegetables, and he kept growing the vegetables year-round, but seasonally as he could. And because of his diligence and the fact that he was a young boy, he actually saved every penny that he earned from the sales. So just a few uh, pennies for some seed, plant the seed. Here comes this harvest. You harvest the crop, grab some more seeds, replant those, sell the crop, save the pennies. And next thing you know, he went from potatoes to a full-blown vegetable store that people were supporting. Then he got a little creative. Now we're at March of 2020. The lockdown happens. People are going to stores. People are looking to support local businesses. People are looking for fresh, clean, we think this is okay type of food. And so young Joe bought three chickens. And you know what's coming next? That's right. Next thing you know, the guy's got egg farm happening here. And so here we go. You know, people, his, his mom works as a house cleaner. And she said, you know, it's amazing how many people, when they heard about what Joe was doing, started showing up at his little stand. They would regularly come by and they'd buy his produce. They'd buy his eggs because it was local. It was homegrown. They could trust him and they felt good supporting the business. But it's this little kid, but he's got this big business. I mean, she said, his mom said, quite frankly, it looked like, I mean, part of the reason why they were doing this was people thought it was safer. I mean, who's this kid? He's not hurting anybody. He's planting some seeds into ground that his grandfather helped him, you know, uh, maintain. And he's growing some really great looking vegetables and we're going to buy this stuff. And every time we buy it, he sells, charges us a, you know, a small markup. He's reinvesting every penny in his business. So he went from potatoes to a full grown vegetable farm to then buying three chickens and having the eggs and then breeding the chickens. And then what, uh, what happens next? He kept saving money and then he bought his first two sheep. Now, he, this is how much money the business was generating and how this boy was thinking ahead. And obviously he was paying attention to the adults in the room who are telling him what to do, you know, because how many kids get a couple of bucks and what do they do? They want to blow it on a video game or hair product or clothes or something like that, right? Uh, well, Yo Jung, Joe uh, Troffer invested in sheep. He bought two females, the ewes, if you will. It cost him $100 per sheep. 80 pounds sterling translates to about $102 a pop. So this kid, now remember, when he started doing this, he was seven. Okay? He, uh, <laughs> I'm chuckling because the next part of the story is really just choice. 
as he grew, he got he buys the two sheep and he's thinking, okay, you know, we're going to share as far as the wool goes and maybe I'll show them. This is a kid who was so enterprising. He taught himself how to spin the wool that the female sheep were generating. But then he made a career decision that really set him up over the top. Can you guess what it is? It has something to do with another acquisition of something that would help his sheep farming business really take off. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, just enjoying the story of this uh, now 11-year-old boy in England um, who <laughs> is rather enterprising. Joe Trofer Cook is his name. His grandfather, Peter Cook, retired a few years back and built Joe a planter in the garden of his village. And they're in Billingay in Lincolnshire and encouraged him to grow potatoes. That's in April of 2019. So he starts growing potatoes. And then in March of 2020, when there's the lockdown happening and stores aren't going on, this boy goes out and takes some of his proceeds, buys a couple of packets of seeds and winds up growing an entire vegetable garden. He starts selling homegrown produce in a little trolley. There's a picture of it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And basically then starts saving every penny. He saves all the penny from the sales of the vegetables, keeps growing the vegetables, and then buys three chickens. The, the locals love buying his produce, and now they love buying his eggs because, well, they like supporting the kid, but it's COVID now. This is March of 2020, early 2021, and stores are locked down. People are worried about, you know, what's... You know, how do we know if this stuff's contaminated or not? What are the big companies doing? And would you trust a small boy in your local neighborhood whose grandfather and mother will vouch for him that he's not putting any sort of weird antibiotics or anything like that in his, uh, in his catch? Well, he does that. He buys a couple of chickens. They start laying eggs. And then he raises enough money to buy a couple of sheep. He buys uh, two females at $102 a pop. The kid had 214 bucks or whatever saved up to buy the two sheep. And so then, then he starts teaching himself how to spin wool. Then he starts showing the sheep off at different shows. But then I told you before the break that he, he made a very enterprising move for this next purchase. Guess what he did? He bought a ram, not a truck, a male sheep. <laughs> he named him Basil. And in the spring of 2021, Joe welcomed, you guessed it, his first set of lambs. The following year, he sold the lambs and that helped him to buy a secondhand sheep trailer. He bought two new ewes, which he named Parsley and Parsnip. He went to Farmer's Market, bid on another one, 
They didn't have any lambs, so basically he used his trailer to take her to show her at country shows. They picked up this other one, Butterbean. So he's got a couple of show lambs, and he's got a couple of, uh, you know, lamb lambs, and then the babies are getting sold, and it's just incredible. So now Joe is 11 years old, and he has made so much money selling his vegetables, selling the chicken eggs, selling the sheep, he now rents a plot of land from a farmer in his village. Here's how much his empire has grown. This kid's 11. He currently owns 12 chickens, not just the three we told you about earlier, 37 sheep, and remember, the chickens are producing eggs and the sheep are having lambs that are being sold. He also has, (laughs) this is a great picture of him and his cow, Yes, he has two cows. And recently, it's not a purchase, but it's a welcome to the family. He adopted a border collie called Spud. Now, why is it that I'm sharing this story with you? Because, I mean, there, there are stories of remarkable kids all over the country and all over the world that, um, uh, that, that do incredible things. And by the way, I should also point out, too, the uh, calves that are now cows um, were a gift. Uh, and so Rosie and Flower are the ones that he raised from infancy, and now they're providing with milk, but in a in a healthy, wholesome way, not, you know, they can do butter and cheese out of there too. Here, here's the thing that makes this story so incredible to me. It was early on in the pandemic that uh, Joe's mother, Claire, had noticed that for his whole life, this boy had had anxiety, especially at night. He had a very dis- difficult time sleeping. And um, he had a hard time expressing himself, but there was something about him being out in the garden, being out with his grandfather, uh, working with the vegetables and eventually with the animals that really settled him. She took him to a specialist. It was during that time that the doctors diagnosed Joe as being autistic. And that's when his mom put two and two together and said, wait a minute, I realized that this is more than just a hobby for him. It's more than just spending time with his grandfather for him, working with the animals, working with the land, working with the vegetables, etc." she said, was the best form of therapy he had ever received. All of a sudden, the anxiety started to go away. He still had a, a, an occasional problem in the evening, but she said, it's amazing. That border collie goes with him everywhere now, and Spud even sleeps with him, and it gives him major... Uh, he's a service animal for him. Now, this is a kid. You want to talk about devotion? He wait. I would imagine if he had a hard time sleeping, getting up early and doing agricultural stuff wouldn't be too much of a challenge. He's up every day at 4 a.m. because he has to feed the animals before he goes to school. I wanted to highlight Joe Trofer Cook as an exceptional young man for a couple of reasons. First of all, because I, I here's an 11-year-old boy who owns 37 sheep and half dozen or a dozen chickens and maybe I have the the mix up and then a couple of cows basically a border collie he's basically he is a businessman who is renting land on which he farms and getting prizes award-winning medals and badges and he's even teaching himself how to make the wool that comes from the lambs into sweaters clothing and things like that Um, What strikes me as really near and dear to my heart, first and foremost, is when I see Joe Trofer Cook, um, 11 years of age and autistic, I think of my nephew Ian, who just turned 30 this year. 
And when Ian was diagnosed at age two as being autistic, you know, there are a lot of people who say, well, okay, what kind of life is that kid going to have? Well, I can tell you, high school graduate, uh, passed his driving test, currently has a job working in that he loves laundry, he loves maintenance, he's working for a local hotel in the Portland, Oregon area, and he is just the light of everyone's life whenever he comes in the room. To see people with different needs excel does my heart good. And I think of uh, Lisa and me uh, in our situation with our daughter Ryan, looking for places for her to thrive too. Uh, the, the culture can be very kind to people with different needs, and sometimes it could be very dismissive. And so to see a boy like Joe Trofer Cook or my nephew Ian uh, thriving, regardless of you know the way God made them and put them in this life, just because it's tougher for them to uh, to function in the way that the world is set up doesn't mean that they don't have gifts to offer and share. Um, so I, I'm just I'm grateful to share the story with you. It was 37 sheep, 12 chickens, two cows, and the border calling. That's the uh, the final tally on what Joe has. And this kid is 11 years of age. Did I mention that? 11 years of age. And now they go to garden shows and they sell all sorts of knickknacks. And I mean, the whole family's gotten involved in the business. And it's really, um, it's just incredible. Joe Trofer Cook at age 11 with autism wants to be a farmer. And when he went to the Lincolnshire show and was an exhibitor there uh, showing his sheep, uh, he saved up for a camera to watch the sheep during lambing season and a special tunnel to house the men call a polytunnel. He brought them to the fair and basically he became the youngest exhibitor in the history. They've been doing this fair for 125 years. By the way, if you want to go to uh, his Facebook page, it's called Joe's Garden Patch. And uh, I think you'll be encouraged. I think you'll be inspired. I know I am. And I, for reasons, of course, that I mentioned personally with my daughter Ryan and nephew Ian, and anyone who is wrestling with a world right now that doesn't necessarily line up with their needs and their abilities, and yet they have so much to offer. But I want to take a step back here, and on the other side of this break, I'll tell you why this story is important for me to share today of all days. And yeah, it's personal, but you know a lot about my life, and I'm sure you have special people in your world, too, that, uh, that certain days ring truer than others. So we'll take a quick break and I'll come back and share that part of the story in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and just kind of wrapping things up here in the final five minutes of the broadcast because it's a very special day, and I can't let the day get away before sharing uh, something off my heart, uh, from my heart to you. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Michelle Bankston for being with us today. That book, The Hem of His Garment, talking about the chronic pain that she experienced and so many other people do, and yet having the faith to overcome. Uh, it's, it's a powerful testimony, and I highly recommend the book, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and also uh, being able to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment on uh, young 11-year-old Joe Trofer Cook, the English lad who is autistic, and yet, in spite of his autism, currently owns 37 sheep, 12 chickens, two cows, and a border collie called Spud, and uh, is a farmer, renting farmland from a local farmer, and is an inspiration to all of us as the father of a daughter with different needs and as a, an uncle to an autistic nephew, um, I really highly resonate with what these, uh, uh, what, what people with the special gifts that they have uh, can bring to us and why it's so important for us to, uh, to not discount those who don't quite fit the mainstream or the norm, but rather to see what God is doing in and through their lives. Uh, in, in my conversation with Dr. Michelle Bankston, we were talking about that life of chronic pain that the woman with the issue of blood lived and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't miss the irony, or not the irony, but just the coincidence that uh, that story resonates so much with me because it reminds me of someone who's very important to me who um, I'm honoring today. My maternal grandmother, Mabel Benilius, uh, was born on this date in 1904. So right around this time, my sister would come up and say, Grandma would have been 119 today. It's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> yes, if she had lived, 119. But mercifully, it's been almost 40 years now since she has been with the Lord. And shortly after her 80th birthday, shortly after visiting uh, relatives from the homeland, her father was from Scotland, and she never had a chance to visit the motherland, but she had a very dear cousin, our our third cousin, Susan Kinnear, who used to, they wrote letters back and forth incessantly, and she had cousins in Canada who used to come and visit her, but she wasn't terribly ambulatory. I mean, she could walk around and stuff like that, but she had so many surgeries and dealt with cancer and major hysterectomy and mastectomy. I mean, about everything you could have removed on a body, my grandmother did. And even though she was in a lot of pain and on a lot of heart medication, you never would have known it because she handled herself with dignity and grace and she was the one who first really, I mean, my parents brought me up in the church and there were a lot of people at church who, who had a powerful impact on me in my faith in Christ, but it was my grandmother and those quiet conversations we used to have, uh, whether it was working in the backyard where she'd pay me 25 cents to rake up all the leaves in her, uh, from her avocado trees. To this day, by the way, I still despise avocados because of all the, the mushy ones I had to pick up. But then working with the, the, the gardening world, her dad was a nurseryman by trade, and Grandma had 21 rose bushes in addition to all sorts of other types of uh, fruit trees, mostly in her backyard. And, and I did a lot of maintenance, and sometimes I'd help her with some landscaping, and she encouraged me in that way. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were celebrating my parents' 68th wedding anniversary and talking about how my great-granddad used to uh, uh, you know, make a living in that world, and then my grandmother kind of carried on the tradition and my mom became you know, really skilled in the kitchen with baking and stuff, but none of us were really outdoorsy. And she said, you know, if my dad had a green thumb, my mother had green arms. I mean, that's how good she was with gardens and everything. 
But it was those moments, that still small voice. When I was young and in high school and, you know, my parents' faith wasn't fitting me. And, but my grandmother's faith was quiet and, and stoic and steadfast in her scripture reading and her uh, faithfully listening to Christian radio and watching Christian television uh, to keep her faith strong when she wasn't able to drive herself to church. Always came to church with us when we'd bring, us, bring her down. But uh, I was just thinking about her today th- as I was having the conversation with Dr. Bankston and looking at uh, Joe Trofer-Cook, the young boy with autism, back in the motherland for my grandmother. But today would have been Grandma's 119th birthday. So uh, Mabel Alberta Edwards Benilius, thank you for a life well lived, a life of faith, a life of courage, a life of dignity in the face of adversity and for helping to keep your grandson walking the straight and narrow. I think of the uh, words of the hymn, In the Garden, that Grandma loved so much. She loved the hymn, she loved the garden, and she really saw the hand of Jesus uh, in her life with those green arms of hers and his each and every day. So happy birthday, Grandma. I love you so much, and I can't wait to see you on the other side. I can't wait to see you on the other side. You and granddaddy and everybody else is going to be there. I'm not planning on heading there anytime soon, but uh, you know that I know that you know what I mean. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the Bottom Line Show today. Kind of a a little maudlin ending here. But I just want to encourage you, if you're going through a painful situation right now, if you're having difficulty, um, if you've got someone in your family that's dealing with a special medical condition and it's really taken a toll on you, Remember there is hope, remember there is rest, and please remember too that on those toughest, darkest days, God loves you, God has you in his hand, and these momentary light afflictions are but for a moment, but our eternal joy and salvation is forever. And one day we will all run those streets of gold with perfect bodies, perfect minds, and perfect souls. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.